truth of the matter is, it's like you don't always know what's going on inside a business and people don't write about the 99% that, that aren't necessarily having that success. And that success from what I found is very, um, can be very shallow and it can be very fleeting. Top line revenue does not equal a healthy, profitable, thriving, sustainable business. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Jessica Rovello. She is building a company called Arcadium, which provides interactive content to the world's most well-known brands and publishers like CNN. Jessica, you ready to take us to the top? I am ready. Okay. So tell me first, is Arcadium a pure play SaaS model or is it more consultative? No. So we are um, quite simply a games company. So we make games and we um, either license them to brands or we deliver them directly to consumers and those consumers either pay us for them um, through things like the App Store or they are uh, monetized through um, advertising. Okay, great. Now, now, when did you find the company? What year? 2001. So it's been quite a long time. 2001. Now, I want to get into the backstory here because you raised capital and bought out your investors. Uh, so yeah. I want to get into that because it's actually becoming a trend right now. So 2001, you launched the Is company. Is it a trend? Oh my uh, goodness. There, there's, more, there's more people doing this. So, so that's, why, that's why I said yes when your folks said, hey, you should have Jessica on. I said, okay, I'll have her on. Um, so you launched the company in 2001. Now, do you yeah. remember what first year revenue was? Oh, it was zero. I mean, we didn't have revenue for the first three years, I would say. Okay. Um, yeah, first two to three years, no revenue. No revenue. Um, and then and when it was probably in the third or fourth year that we actually started making revenue and then it scaled fairly quickly. Probably the first year that we were, um, had revenue, we probably did about 600,000. Okay. And what was that revenue? Basically advertising? No, back then, I mean, we had a slightly different model back then. So we were still making games, but we were, um, licensing them more, um, mm-hmm. and directly to large brands. Okay. So, um, that was, that was pure licensing revenue at the time. Okay. Um, and then, so fast forward, so 2004 caught $600,000 in total sales. What'd you scale to up in 2010? Oh boy. Do you remember? Um, I would say by 2010, we were probably six, seven, six million. Six. Yeah. Sounds yep. about right. I'd have to go back and look to get you, you know, that's okay. Numbers, but but yeah. same model licensing. Yeah, primarily the same model. I mean, by 2010, our industry had changed pretty significantly. So um, when we started the business, social gaming was not a thing. And then that took off. And then, 
you know, the iPhone didn't exist when we started the business and then that started taking off. So definitely shifts in how we earned revenue, but it was all, you know, through the whole 18 year history, it had something to do with games, whether that be multiplayer games like poker or single player games. So I wanted 2010 as a beachhead because then in 2013 is when you raised yeah. the 5 million from Edison. So yeah. explain the dynamics around that. Start with what scale you were at. So were you at about what, 10, 11, 12 million in yeah, air? We were probably around somewhere between 10 or 12 at that time, I would say. Um, and, you know, it was more kind of what was, I think there were two dynamics at play. One was what was going on in our industry, what we were seeing in our industry. And at that time, um, if you can kind of remember back then, it was like, um, at least in the gaming sector, Words with Friends was really starting to take Zynga. off. Farmville was a huge hit. And there was a lot of consolidation going on in our industry. A lot of people were gobbling up game companies. And so that was kind of the first time, you know, we had been through multiple cycles. We've probably been through two cycles at that point. But that was the first time when we ever really considered, because we we're getting a lot of inbound interest, like, are we interested in selling? Are we interested in doing something? Um, and the gaming industry is, is um, like many media industries, is very hit-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a lot of people who play games don't realize is it's really expensive. You know, they think it's just some guy in their basement who's coding something, you know. And it, games, I mean, even casual games that people play on their mobile phones can cost upwards of a million dollars for a studio to make, if not more. And so if you have a string of those um, and you don't have an out-of-the-box hit, um, like 99% of them aren't necessarily making their money back. So to do that and be self-funded at the same time can be a very expensive prospect. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time we kind of started looking at, um, is this something that we should even consider? Um, and that kind of ended up with, we looked at various different options from selling to taking investment. Um, and luckily at that point, we had already built a profitable business that was scaling. And so we were able to take investment on, um, on pretty good terms. We took a minority stake in the business. Well, how um, much did you sell? Um, we sold less than 20%. Okay. That's pretty good. So less than 20%. And how much did you raise? 5 million. Okay. Got it. So, I mean, you're looking at like a 20 million pre-money, something like that. Yeah, it was somewhere in that range. And I mean, I think the the other important thing um, is that, you know, outside of the cycle that the industry was going through was just kind of what we were thinking and feeling as entrepreneurs. And I say this because it kind of influences a lot of my thinking now and a lot of what I believe in as an entrepreneur now. And that was kind of that. I always had this little monkey on my back that if we didn't raise, we wouldn't be a serious business. We wouldn't be a a, a large business. We wouldn't be a player. Um, Jessica, and- I think you're a, I think you're a player. You, you check the <laughs> player. You're, you're good to go on. You're good to go on these and you're a hustler. Yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're in tech, you're kind of, you see a lot of, of unicorns around you and they get a lot of ink and a lot of people talk about, you know, these high growth, you know, ridiculously scaling businesses. And I think it's very easy to compare yourselves to what you see in the market and, the truth of the matter is, it's like you don't always know what's going on inside a business and people don't write about the 99% that, that aren't necessarily having that success. And that success from what I found is very, um, can be very shallow and it can be very fleeting. Top line revenue does not equal a healthy, profitable, thriving, sustainable business. Yeah. Now, were you guys burning on $12 million in revenue in 2013? Were you profitable or break even at least? Yes, we were profitable. Yeah, we okay. Like profitable significantly? We've always done somewhere between, I would say, 10 and 20% EBITDA margins. I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, it's pretty yeah, good. High growth years, maybe a little bit less, um, but you know, that's what we always aim to be at. 
Now, you know, you raise the capital in 2013, you take dilution, you, you're going to burn capital after that to invest it. So I imagine in 2014, 2015, maybe you were cash flow negative because you were investing the 5 million, right? We were maybe cash flow negative a couple of quarters. Um, at most, I would say one calendar year, but never okay. more than that. So where did you invest that five? Was it fixed costs or more like variable uh, marketing? Yeah, it was in creating new product for the most part. So, okay. um, so we were um, working on games that took longer to make, that had larger teams, that took longer to get to market. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was primarily where the investment went, and then, um, yeah, and then yep. marketing. So let's fast forward now. We've got a good touch point in 2004. We got a touch point in 2013. Take us up to 2018, right? So how many folks are working at the company now today? Oh, boy. So uh, as of today, we probably have, uh, we're right around the 100 range, anywhere from 98 to 101, depending on you know, time of year. And how many engineers? We have about 40 engineers. Okay. And, uh, and who are the rest? Uh, sales, marketing, uh, people innovation, which is what we call uh, our HR function. Um, we have are the salespeople are they on like commission? Are they like a quota structure or no? Uh, for sales, yeah, uh, it's a it is a goal structure. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So, how many salespeople do you have incentivized by this goal structure? I would say one, two, three. We have three who only do sales, and then we have an additional uh, four account managers who also do sales. Okay. Yeah. So what does the business now look like today? So last year, were you still selling and licensing games to large brands? Is that still the product? Yep, that's still the product. I mean, it is a mix between distributing our games through large brands and publishers and distributing them direct to consumer. Okay. But the revenue comes from either via somebody else's website or via our own website, people playing games. Or by is, is, are there any media outlets, because I know this is very in vogue right now, using oh. things that almost feel like a game, which is actually more like a survey where you're capturing, you know, you know, play this game to see if you're like Elon Musk or Tim Cook, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not something that we do, um, but that's something that definitely exists in the market. Um, I think that, you know, that's something that, we'll see what the lifespan of that type of gamified data collection is based on how privacy is trending in the United States and certainly abroad. It That becomes a more and more difficult thing to be able to monetize. So what product did you create? Like, give us an example. Everyone knows CNN. What do you do for CNN? So for CNN or for more specifically for somebody like the Washington Post, for example, we they all have... Um, you know, in the physical papers that have been around some for hundreds of years, right? They always had a crossword section and I'm sure you can picture it in your mind or a Sudoku or a word jumble or something like that. We basically took that concept and brought it um, into digital in the early 2000s. So a lot of these large news publications, whether it be a CNN or a LA Times or a Washington Post, it's something that their readers are used to doing in print or have traditionally done in print. They're not going to create a game studio in-house, right? Yep. They don't have the desire to do that um, and they don't have the expertise to do that. And so that's really where they turn to us and we provide them with kind of a turnkey gaming solution that they, um, that they put in their game section of their digital property. Yep. Okay, very good. And then last question on 2018, before we talk about how you maneuvered kind of buying out your investors, yeah. what did you break in 2018s in terms of total top line revenue? 
2018, we were in the $15 million, just around 15. Okay. And still about 10 to 20% EBITDA margin. Yep. That's great. Okay. So when did the discussion start festering inside of you and co-founders and early team members that we should maybe buy these guys out? You know, I would say that it was a, it was something that took place over time. And I think it was something, again, nothing's ever like black and white. There's nuance to every kind of decision that you make as a business person, as an entrepreneur. So I think two things were happening. I think one, um, we noticed in us having been through a real existential crisis in our, in our business, um, you know, that in, involved a political situation. We had an engineer who was based in Ukraine. We had to move them um, due to kind of the political crisis that was going on there. And so in facing that existential crisis as the business, and that was really kind of like a, a time of reflection, we realized that like, we're not done building this company. We don't feel like we've hit um, the the point of success that we know that we are capable of achieving. And we love the journey that we're on in building this business. So that was mm-hmm. kind of point number one, just coming to that realization. I think point number two was just always kind of going in eyes wide open and understanding that when you take investment, um, your investors expect a return. <laughs> and if yep. you have not necessarily been upfront with them about um, uh, your thinking that and and because at the time we didn't even know it know it in ourselves. This is something we may want to do for the next twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like it was the right thing to do to say. Listen, we understand that y- you invested in us in order to get a return, and that return may take significantly longer than your fund is uh, is prepared for. And so, um, you know, rather than feel like you have to hold on to something that, you know, who knows when there will be a liquidity event. And rather than us feel like we have to make decisions um, for the business based on our investors' outcomes as opposed to our employees' outcomes or our company's outcomes. Um, and luckily, you know, we had we had the the ability to do it. Um, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Well, so, so decode kind of de- decode together. that. Yeah, decode that for me. So, you know, luckily, you said luckily you had the ability to do it. So, what does yeah. that mean? What did you buy these investors out for? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't tell you specifically what the dollar amount was um, or how it was financed necessarily. I'll just say that the company is profitable and has been profitable and is healthy. And we were just in a position where we could make them an offer that was palatable that gave them a return on their investment. So it was whatever the deal was, it was more than $5 million. Uh, It was more than they put in. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, did they put in $5 million? Yes, they put in $5 million. Okay. So it was more than $5 million. And was it, I mean, the reason I asked this, there are a lot of CEOs I've had on that have bought out investors, but you know, Gumroad comes to mind, right? There was seven, 7 million bucks put in. I forget the VC, but they bought them out for a dollar because the VC wanted the $6.9 million essentially write down because their other portfolio companies performed well. So it was a tax loss. Why weren't you able to get a deal done at like a dollar? <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't, I don't, I, that never was, was on the table for us. That was not something that was discussed. And I'm sure mm-hmm. everybody comes to a negotiation like that from a different place in terms of where their fund is or what they're willing to accept or what they're not. Um, just for us as, um, as business people who value um, in all of our relationships, our integrity and doing what we said we were going to do, we felt like um, they trusted us with their capital and um, 
And it allowed us to continue to grow the business for a number of years. And um, just because our paths were divergent didn't mean that we didn't want to try and do the best that we could that wasn't going to um, harm the business in terms of, you know, what they came into the deal for, yep. which was to get a return. Yeah. Which, which debt provider did you use to help fund the deal? Um, I will say that we are a debt-free organization. So oh, so you, you raised no, you literally, I mean, if, if you're no debt, the only way I can think that you did this is you guys were just very good with your cash flow. You saved up enough to get we've the deal done. We've always been profitable and we've always been great with our cash. But even yeah. though, even though on 15 million in 2018, they said you did top line or about 15 million and 10% EBITDA margin, that only adds 1.5 million to your bank that year. I mean, you would have had to say, been saving basically since 2013, but you said you were burning even in 2014. I can tell you that as entrepreneurs, we are not the types of people. I run the company with my co-founder who happens to be my husband and our ethos from day one has always been to um, be great with our cash and to put profits back into the business. We are not the type of entrepreneurs that have ever taken significant amounts of money off the table for ourselves, always reinvested back in, and we've just been really smart with our cash. Yeah, but Jessica, I'm, I'm literally just doing math, right? Yeah. 15 million top line, and 10, these are your numbers, 10 to 20% EBITDA margin. That means in 2018, at the max, if you hit both those, you put 1.5 million in extra cash in your bank. You, that doesn't equal 5 million. You had to get we've 5 million. We've been in business in, for 19 years. Yeah, so I'm going <laughs> to keep going backwards here, okay? You yep. said in 2013, you raised the 5 million, and you said you maybe had a couple quarters max a year of burning in 2014. So it's not like you've been saving up this five million since two thousand and one, right? Yeah. You, you but, probably but started. Why? Why would you assume that we spent all of the money that we took in? Well, you told me that you were you burned that you said there was a couple quarters in twenty fourteen of burning capital, or yeah, you were cash burn, flow negative. But burning for me can mean losing, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in a year. It doesn't mean losing six million dollars in a year. It can mean losing ten thousand dollars in a year. Okay, you, anything that is not that is you, not. You told me that games money. cost sometimes a million to create, and you said you raised that five million yeah, to I create said, new yes. games to market. Yeah, so you could easily solve general, the number by simply million. saying, if you feel like in 2014 you actually just didn't spend the money, that's fine too. I mean, that would be a that's a great strategy as well. So is that what happened here? Is you just you put the five million in and you didn't spend the money? There were a number of years that we had significant. Uh, expense savings after we went through what we went through and having to transition the business. And that allowed us to just be smart with the cash and continue to reinvest it back into the, either into the business or to save it up. Yep. This but was yeah. when you went through the kind of the political crisis, you had to cut your team in half, your yeah, fixed headcount expense. Yeah, we cut significant, everything got cut in order to make sure that the business was in a safe place and get us back to the point where we were putting significant amounts of cash um, back onto the balance sheet. And the best But we were never, had. ever, ever, we never ran the business in a place where we were burning significant amount of cash. So just because I say burn, burn in my world is anything that is less than zero. It is not yeah. 10,000 a month. It's not a million dollars a year. It's not $10 million a year. It's hard to conceive because we're kind of surrounded by people who are burning billions of dollars a quarter. But like for my business at this scale, that's just never happened. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I don't know if you listen to the show or not, but I can tell you there's no one that protects bootstrappers more than I do. Okay. I beat the hell out of people that come on and brag about what they burn. So I'm not trying to get you caught in a catch 22 here. What I'm trying to do is literally do the math so that other people can do what you did. Yep. Right. So you just tell me if this is a true or false statement. Okay. I'm going to try and summarize as best I can. Yep. You raised, you raised 5 million in 2013. You sold about yep. 20% of the company. 
a political thing happened where you had to drastically change the expense structure of your business in 2014 and 2015, i.e. you cut costs. Right. In that year, maximum potential EBITDA to the bottom line was 20%. You said between 10 and 20% the past couple of years, 20%. Between then and now, you, number one, didn't spend necessarily all the $5 million, and you've been saving diligently since 2014 because Correct. of this better expense structure, and yeah, that allowed and we, you- we, And we already had cash on hand when we took the investment. Got it. Okay. So those yeah. are all the things that allowed you to have leverage to kind of do this at a return that your investors left. Yeah. We were not in a place where we raised when we were at less than zero. We already yeah. had significant cash on the balance sheet when we raised. And that's how we were able to raise on terms that allowed us to eventually put us in a position to buy out our Series A. Yep. Uh, you raised in 2013 at about a 1.7x kind of multiple, 12 million in revenue, 20 million pre-money valuation. If someone offered you that same multiple today, so if they offered you about 30 million bucks to buy the company, would you sell? No. Why not? Because I still do not feel like the business has reached the level of maturity and scale that it is capable of doing. Mm-hmm. If you, if you said, if you went to tonight over dinner and said, Hey babe, you're not gonna believe this. I got a $30 million offer. I told him no instantly. Would he be like, Oh yeah, babe, good decision. <laughs> or he'd go, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, I think absolutely. I think in our minds, um, we're pretty aligned on, um, what we want to do with the business. And honestly, it's never been about an outcome being related to a dollar amount. The outcome is related to the impact and the achievement that we have um, inside the business, in the community at large, in what we want to do with our lives. It's really about the journey of building the business as opposed to, you know, sitting on a pile of cash. Guys, there you have it. Arcadium founded back in 2001, between 2003, no revenue, then 2004, 600 grand in revenue, mainly from licensing games to large brands. In 2013, revenue hit $12 million, sold about 20% of the company for 5 million bucks, raising 5 million from a VC. Then just quickly realized some changes in the business. They weren't going to deploy that capital like they thought and ultimately did what I think a good founder would do. You get creative, saved cash, a profitable, growing company. Now today doing about 15 million in top line revenue, still 10 to 20% EBITDA margins, but most importantly, bought back that equity that they sold earlier in an, in an arrangement that worked not only for them, Jessica and her husband and the co-founders, but also for Edison and the investor. Great way to keep control of your destiny and get wealthy and free off cash flow, right, Jessica? Uh, someday. She doesn't like the numbers. She doesn't <laughs> like the numbers. I like wealth, okay? I like money. So Jessica, <laughs> thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you.